I, uh, I, I read Jesus Calling uh, from my, you guys read this? Anybody else read this? It's so great. It's just wonderful. You know, she passed away uh, not too long ago, Sarah Young. But anyway, Jesus Calling, just wonderful. I want to kick off our prayer time this morning by reading uh, for you today's um, entry. This, this is what she says. Now, she writes this in, in the voice of Jesus. So this is Jesus speaking to you. And this is today's entry. Live first and foremost in my presence. Gradually, you will become more aware of me than of people and places around you. Sounds a lot like center about last week. This awareness will not detract from your relationships with others. Instead, it will increase your to give love and encouragement to them. My peace will permeate your words and demeanor. You will be active in the world, yet one step removed from it. Keep that in mind. That's going to be important later when I preach my sermon. You'll be active in the world, yet one step removed from it. You will not be easily shaken because my enveloping is the blow of problems. I have set before you, as you follow it wholeheartedly, you experience abundant life and peace. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? So today for our prayer time, I want us to enter into that presence. Now here's the, here's the, here's the secret. You're never out of that presence. Right? Mike, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, always, everywhere, all the time. The difference is whether we perceive that or not. Whether we acknowledge that or not. And so sometimes you just have to get quiet and turn your brain off for a second to go, oh, God, there you are. There you are. right? Because Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that we are the temple of God. I almost read to you a, a part out of Hebrews chapter 10 where the writer says, you know, this access to this holy of holies place that used to be in the temple that was through a curtain and and only certain priests could go and access the presence of God at certain times during the year, and how Jesus has torn that curtain in two, and now the Holy of Holies is inside of us, each one of us. And so that presence is available and active and there all the time if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. So this morning, I want you to begin by just closing your eyes, and I want you to take a few deep breaths because we're told in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis that God breathed into Adam and he became a living being. The breath that you're breathing is God's very breath. The name that is revealed to Moses in the burning bush is unpronounceable. Y-H-W-H. We don't even know how to say it because there's no vowels in it. The best we can do is breathe it. The breath that you're taking in right now is the name of God. Now I want you to think about the coming day. The day is just beginning. And I want you to think about what would a really good day look like. If this were the best possible day, what kinds of things would happen? How would you like the day to look? Now I want you to think about 
maybe some things that you're a little bit concerned that might happen today that would keep it from being the best day possible? What are some of those things that maybe you're a little bit worried about, concerned about? I want you to imagine those things and just let them float away because you are now resting in the presence of God. I want you to imagine the things that you feel a little bit guilty about or you feel some shame about because maybe you did some things this week that you wish you wouldn't have. You you said some stuff to somebody that you knew you shouldn't have said. Maybe you felt a prompting from God to make a phone call this week and you never did do it. I want you to pull those things up in your mind. I want you to know that the God in whose presence you are now resting with does not hold that against you. And you can let those things float away. They are no longer applicable in this space. Now I want you to think about those prayer requests that you have been praying for this week. You've got family members who are sick. You've got folks that are applying for jobs that you really, really want them to get. You've got some stuff coming up that you're a little bit concerned about how it's going to turn out, and so you've really been praying for these. You've been sharing your prayer requests with your friends and with your family and your small groups. I want you to pull those up in your mind. See the faces of the people you're praying for. In my prayer time, sometimes I imagine Mike Hodson, who walks around with a cane, and I imagine him in my mind without a cane, standing straight, without pain. I want you to imagine these things that you're praying for as you would like to see them. Now guess what? As you're resting in the presence of God right now and you're pulling up these prayer requests in your mind, you're setting them before the Lord. God knows them right now. In fact, God's intention for these prayer requests is the same as yours. Y'all are on the same page. God wishes for healing, for peace, for life, for joy, for abundance. And so now you can let those prayer requests go as we enter into worship. They're not your concern anymore. God's got them. Now I want you to take a few more deep breaths. As you breathe in the breath of God, as you breathe God's name, 
know that God is in this place. God is around us, above us, in us, through us, according to Paul. God is in your heart of hearts, standing in solidarity with you, the mistakes you've made, the prayer requests that you have. God loves us. And so now we're going to enter into worship and we're going to show God love because of the love that God has shown us. This is our wish today. God, may we sense your presence, not just in this place, but in our heart of hearts as well. Thank you for never abandoning us. I pray that we would take these moments as often as we can just to enter into your presence, which is always there. We don't have to ask for it. We don't have to go to some high mountaintop to receive it. We just need to get quiet sometimes. And so I pray that we would take advantage of that. May you be glorified in all that we say and do. We are your people. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the beloved letter to the Philippians from St. Paul. We are looking at chapter 1, verses 21 through 30. You will recognize bits of this scripture. Listen now for a word from the Lord through the Apostle Paul. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, and all the church said, amen. We are starting a brand new series this week called For the Long Haul. The last one was called The Journey Begins, and so we talked about how the journey is always beginning, but at some point, you also have to recognize that you're in it for the long haul, that this is a marathon not a sprint. And so Lily redid our table today, 
uh, which I'm just enamored with. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yes. You deserve it, Lily. So, so I guess this is, the, this is the path, right? This is the roadway. And uh, one of the most famous roadways that we have, Route 66, of course. But we're, we're in it for the long haul. We're in it to win it. As Paul said, we're in the race to make it to the end, to claim that prize. That's why we're here. That's why we do this. You know, last week we talked about uh, centering prayer. We had that little video of people uh, that uh, talked about what centering prayer was and gave some testimonies about how it has affected their life. Just, just, I'm just curious, did anybody try centering prayer this week? A couple people, wonderful people. Did you, did you find it refreshing? Was it uh, transformative in some way? There's something about just getting quiet, kind of like we did, uh, although I was talking over you guys. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't very quiet. But centering prayer, I find it to be um, just refreshing when I'm, when I'm done being still and I quiet my mind, uh, even for just 10 minutes. When I'm finished with that, it's like, oh, okay, I can move forward with the day or whatever it, I need to do. It's interesting because I read in, in uh, 1740, John Wesley, of course, had, uh, it wasn't the Methodist church at this point, it was Methodist societies that he had set up around England, uh, and, and these were designed for folks who were wanting to grow in their faith. They would go to church on Sunday, but then during the week, they would go to the Methodist societies, and they would have Bible studies, and they would have a prayer, and they would take up collections, and they would help the poor. He found one particular society uh, that he had set up, he went to visit it and found that they were practicing this thing called quietism, okay? This was a movement that, that briefly made its way. In fact, it, it's still in existence in some, some denominations. The Quakers practice this. Um, but it's kind of like uh, centering prayer. Uh, and what he found is that in this particular society, this is all they were doing, just practicing quietism, this centering prayer, sitting silently, waiting for God to move, waiting in stillness to uh, have their faith increase or for the Holy Spirit to kind of come and invade the place. And you can imagine John Wesley was not very pleased with this particular society. Don't get me wrong, not that John Wesley wasn't into uh, inward uh, inspection. We, we, we need to, to, to understand ourselves. We need to probe the things that, that are not doing us any good and get rid of those things and to foster the things that are. Uh, he encouraged things like prayer. Um, he encouraged things like private Bible reading. Um, he, he encouraged things like uh, confession, solitude, self-examination. But he also looked around and said, folks, there's a whole world that needs saving. Right? We, we can't just sit in this place and, and just be quiet and wait on God all the time because that, that just completely does away with the, the mission that Jesus gave us, which is to go out and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus gave us marching orders. It requires that we get off our duffs and go out and do something. And so, of course... Methodism doesn't come from nowhere. John gave us a method for what he called entire sanctification, this idea that we are becoming like Jesus, that we are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And he said this requires both 
this, this quiet inward piety is what he called it, but it also requires outward social action, justice. You've got to visit the sick. You've got to go to the hospitals. You've got to go to the jails. You've got to teach people new skills. He had entire uh, uh, places of sewing. He would teach you how to sew so that you could have a, a way to make income. Piety and mercy, love of God and love of neighbor. And John Wesley said both are required if you want to be uh, totally sanctified, perfectly sanctified. If you want to uh, give yourself over to what God is doing within you, you've got to have both and. I was reading this uh, a book earlier this week about Buddhist monks. And, and I, I did not know this, but there are some Buddhist monks that take a vow to delay their own enlightenment until everyone can get into nirvana, right? So for Buddhist monks, the idea of meditating into this higher plane and you, you transcend the world and its illusion, some monks say, but if I just sit around all the time meditating into nirvana, then what about the rest of the world? And so I'm going to personally make sure that I don't do that and I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of what John Wesley was talking about here. Walks into this society, sees them all uh, uh, just waiting quietly for the Lord to move, and he says, get up, get up, go out and do something. You can't sit here the whole time. Well, Paul is writing to his brothers and sisters in Philippi, which was a Gentile town, no Jews there at all, no synagogues. This was a church that Paul had started years before, and he is writing from a jail cell, he tells us. Now, we don't know exactly what jail cell he was sitting in, but some of the things that he says in there leads us to believe that this was probably the jail cell in Rome, a Roman jail cell, which I believe, if you go to Rome, still exists. You can see where uh, uh, Paul and Peter were imprisoned and in chains. But if that's the case, uh, he would never leave this prison. We know from history that this was his final stop, uh, and shortly after he was beheaded by Nero, Caesar Nero, uh, somewhere in 64, 65 AD. And so he's writing this letter, uh, not knowing if he's going to get out of this Roman jail cell or not. And he's kind of talking to the Philippians, and he's talking about this, uh, this thing of living and dying. And most people, myself included, when you read this at first glance, it seems like Paul maybe is talking about, man, I, I would kind of like to just go ahead and, and be killed or to die and to be with Christ. But also, I know that it's good if I stay here. And so we just automatically think that Paul is, is talking about literal life and death. Uh, and, and he almost uh, is weighing the benefits and, and talking about, I don't know what I would choose, as though he has the choice whether he lives or dies in this scenario. But as I read it this week, as I studied it, as we sat down and looked at this on Monday with the Breakfast Club, I started to suspect that's not exactly what he was talking about. Paul uses a very specific word with a very specific meaning in this. Let me read just a, a short section here. He says, now if I live on in the flesh, this means 
fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And since I'm persuaded of this, I know I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Is he talking about living or dying and what he chooses? Is he talking about taking his own life here? Or is he talking about something different? He uses a very specific word translated in this particular translation as flesh. Flesh. If I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. That is a Greek word, sarx. S-A-R-X. Everybody say sarx. You're learning Greek, one word at a time. Very good. Now, this is very different from the Greek word for body, which is soma. And he does not say here, if I live on in the soma, in the body, this means fruitful work for me. He says, if I live on in the sarx, in the flesh. Now, that's important because if you've read enough of Paul's stuff, you know that he feels some kind of way about the flesh. The flesh, the sarks, for Paul, is kind of like a human nature. It is the nature that we are born into, the nature that we all carry around with us. And he always contrasts it with the spirit nature or life in the spirit. And so Paul routinely says, don't live according to the sarks or according to the flesh. Live according to the spirit. And so what I think Paul is struggling with here in this section of his letter to the church at Philippi is not whether to be alive or dead, but to remain in his human nature or to live in the spiritual realm, in the spirit nature. Whether to turn inward, to mentally escape, the sufferings that he is now undergoing, or to remain mindfully present in the midst of his suffering so that he can remain a help to the Philippians and to whoever else might need him. Now, here's why I think that this is what Paul's talking about. Paul knew what it was to escape the, the, the earthly realm, not, not, uh, not living in, or dying, but escaping into some other place. This is a really weird passage. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body, the soma, or out of the body, the soma, I don't know, but God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a human being is not allowed to speak. Most scholars agree Paul is talking about himself here. He's talking about himself in the third person. That, guys, there was this time, and whether it was an out-of-body experience or an in-body experience, I don't know, but I transcended into this, this other worldly place, and I heard things, and I saw things that I cannot even repeat to you. And so, I think what Paul is doing here as he sits in this Roman jail cell, not knowing if he's going to get out of here or not, 
whether he's going to be executed or whether he's going to be released, I think Paul is rationalizing. Just like John Wesley did that day he walked into that society and said, get off your butts and get out there. You can't sit here quietly all day. Just like those Buddhist monks that say, I'm going to delay my own enlightenment until everybody can join me. That Paul says, you know what? There is work to be done right here, right now. And people need me to be present, to be available to them, to answer letters if they come visit me, to have a conversation with them, to continue to witness to the palace guard. He says, the whole palace guard knows that I'm here because of my faith in Christ. He's witnessing to the guards in the palace itself as he's heading toward this unknown future. I think what Paul is saying here is that if we spend all of our time in meditation, in stillness, in contemplation, yes, you may be able to transcend the sufferings of this world. You may be able to enter into some kind of higher plane and to commune with God and to see things and hear things that no one is permitted to say, but to do that, you're no good to anybody else. You're not present. You're not available them. And so Paul says, because of this, I know what I'm going to choose. I know what I'm going to choose. I'm going to remain available for you all and for anyone else who needs me until my very last breath. Now, some of you sitting here today, you may not know anything about all this mystical woo-woo stuff. Third heavens and nirvana, you've never even, you don't even know what that is, right? But I know that all of us in this room have undergone various trials, tribulations, suffering, and I also know that we know how to retreat when we get into those situations, right? It may not be through meditation, but some people retreat into bitterness. They turn inward and become bitter. Some people turn to drugs and alcohol. Some people turn to shopping. Boy, I love to do that. If I'm feeling kind of some way, if it's a bad day, let me just go on Amazon and buy something, and then it'll be in in a couple days, and I'll feel better. Make me feel better. That's how I retreat. Some people just stay home. You know those people that just drop off the the face of the earth, and you you don't even see them anymore because they're suffering, and so because of that, they've just retreated into themselves, into their homes, feeling however they're feeling about their situation. When I get sick, Lena, what do I do when I get sick? I go to bed. I stay in bed until the sickness is over. I barely get up to eat. or It's just like I'm going to sleep this thing off. If I get a headache, you're going to know about it. I'm going to let you know. I've got a headache. I'm not feeling very good today. It's just the way that I deal with things. Now, Elena, I'm sorry, Elena, I didn't tell you this. When Elena gets sick, Elena gets up and does the dishes and puts loads of laundry in. And I'm like, what are you doing? I thought you were sick. I am sick, but stuff has to get done around the house, right? I can't just just lay in bed. Now, in those rare moments when Elena and I are both sick at the same time, then I'm laying in bed and I'm looking at her going, man, I feel pretty small right now. (laughs) Because I'm retreating to the bed and she is continuing the work that is set before her. 
There are some of you here today, I won't name any names, but there are some of you here today that are suffering nonstop pain and discomfort in your lives. And I know this because I've had conversations with you, and I know about the things that you're dealing with, and yet I see you with a smile on your face day in and day out. I never hear you complain. I never hear you feel sorry for yourself. I never hear you intentionally stirring up sympathy for yourself. In fact, if I didn't know that you were suffering inwardly, I would never know from your outward appearance. There are some of you in this room this morning that are like that, and I find you uh, mysterious. I find you fascinating. I find you inspiring. I find myself looking at you wondering, how is that possible? Because when I am in discomfort, I go retreat to my bed. That's what I do. How do you do that? How do women give birth to babies? I don't even know. I, I don't even know. I look at that process and go, it's a miracle. I don't, I don't even know how that's possible, right? Give me, give me three epidurals and knock me out, and, and <laughs> that's how I would deal with it. Folks, Jesus knew our struggle. Jesus knew what it was to suffer and yet to have um, an active ministry and mission that required he didn't check out. And this is not to say that we should never practice stillness and quiet. I think centering prayer and meditation and some of these things, it is amazing. I think it brings a sense of comfort and peace in the moment, but we can't stay there. We can't go up on the mountain with Jesus, these places of, of transfiguration, and stay up there. Jesus says, no, we got to come back down the mountain because there's work to do down in the valley. We're, we're headed to Jerusalem. We can't stay up in this wonderful, comfy place all the time. Jesus would use a couple different words. So Paul would use flesh and spirit. He would contrast the two, right? Jesus used different words. He used world and heaven. And we mistake his teaching just like we do Paul's. Paul's not talking about life and death here. He's talking about your perception of life as you move forward. Are you going to live here with everybody else in your suffering and pain, or are you going to try to retreat to some other place? Jesus uses world and heaven. And world doesn't mean earth. And heaven meaning some other place up above somewhere, right? We, we tend to think that's what Jesus is talking about. But both Jesus and Paul are referring to how we perceive our lives and everything around us and how we choose to proceed based on that perception. What method of living will you choose to engage? You can live according to the world's method or you can live according to heaven's method, method Jesus says, right? Both are available. Both are right here, right now. It's just how you choose to engage your life with all of its ups and downs. And Jesus, like Paul, like John Wesley, says, you got to keep on keeping on until the end. You can't give up. You can't retreat. If you need a little solace, if you need to go up on the mountain for a second, fine, do that. Get quiet. Spend a whole night in prayer if you need to. That's what Jesus did. But then the sun would come up, and man, he's back to work, back at it. 
And so it doesn't surprise me at all that in the Gospel of John, as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, he knows what's in store, he knows it's going to be bad, he spends his last few moments with the disciples praying for them, and he also says, I'm also praying for all those who will come to believe in me through their testimony, us. He's praying for us, right? And in this prayer, he prays to his Father and he says, I pray that you do not take them out of the world, but you leave them in the world, protect them from the evil one, and that they might function as one body, unified completely. This is Jesus' prayer for us. He's not talking about, Father, don't whisk them off of the earth. He's saying, don't let them get sucked into the world system, the bogus world system, and the way that they do things. Help them to remain in the world, but not of it. Just like Paul is saying, I'm going to remain in the flesh, but not of it. I'm not going to retreat. I'm going to stay right here. And so we have a choice. When suffering comes, and suffering will come, guaranteed in this life, 100%, you will have suffering. Jesus said it. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You will have suffering, and you've got a choice when that happens. You can choose to retreat through whatever means you think will relieve that suffering. Uh, I think that meditation and centering prayer and stillness and quiet is a wonderful way to get some relief from suffering. There are some not-so-good ways to relieve your suffering. Some of those things I mentioned won't do it, right? Because as soon as I buy my thing from Amazon and it comes in the next day, it's neat for about 15 minutes, and then I'm back in my suffering phase, thinking, well, that was a good 15 minutes of taking my mind off it. Maybe I can uh, buy something else, right? We know where drugs and alcohol lead. We, we already know that. You, you may relieve some kind of suffering with a clouded mind for, for a moment, but it, it's always going to come back around. So those are not good ways. But the other thing that we can do is to stay present. Stay present to the world and for the benefit of the world. To acknowledge your suffering. Yes, I'm suffering. Yes, I'm in pain. Yes, with the help of God, I can get through this because there is a higher calling. And I think this is what Christianity is all about. It's a both-and scenario. Christianity is both-and. Just look at the incarnation. Look at Jesus, both God and man. How does that happen? I don't know. But that's what Christianity tells us. Jesus is both fully divine and fully human. Jesus experiences the same suffering that we experience. He doesn't retreat into some divine space to, to uh, bypass that suffering. He's in it. He's in it with us. We look at humanity. Genesis tells us you are made from the dirt and God breathes into you. You are made in the image of God and you are formed from the dust of the earth. Both and. You are both flesh and spirit. You are both of the world and of heaven. Citizens of the world and citizens of heaven, both and, all the time. And so I think when we have to 
consider what it means to be a disciple of Jesus for the long haul. Right? We're talking about the long haul here. This, this, this uh, race to the end is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And if we're in it, if we're in the race for the long haul, then Jesus says you have to take up your own cross daily. You're going to have to pick up that cross sometimes. And you're going to have to carry it. And I know how heavy it is because I've carried it too. And I'm with you as you carry yours. Don't check out. Carry the cross. And I will be with you. And I will strengthen you. And I think that we have to have one foot, both and, one foot in seeking union with the divine, right? Through prayer, through meditation, through stillness. God, reveal yourself to me. Show me where you are. Give me peace in the midst of my suffering. But then also you have to keep one foot over here, one eye on your neighbor, one eye on the world. Because Jesus says, I pray that you would stay in the world to continue the work that I have given you. You can't check out yet. That is a hard line to walk, right? That is so hard, especially when you're suffering terribly. But there is a way. There is a way that you can hold both in balance. Part of that is this community right here, right? If you are suffering, make sure you let somebody know so that we can lift you up in prayer, that we can surround you. Make sure that you are coming to church, that you are spending time in the Word, that you're spending time in prayer. This is your outlet right here to help you get through the suffering. Friends, this is what it looks like. The long haul. This is the life that Jesus has set before us. And I pray that we would remain present for each other and for the world. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the Apostle Paul who little did he know would never get out of that jail cell. And the testimonies that we have about Paul that up until the very end, he remained faithful. The ancient witnesses tell us that he willingly stretched out his neck so that his head could be severed. And he did this with a prayer. He did this with his eyes turned toward you. I don't know what that would look like for me, but I thank you for that witness. I thank you for Paul's maybe final letter here as he's writing from this jail cell, telling the Philippians, I'm going to stay with you in mind and body and spirit, and I'm going to lift you up in prayer. If I get out of here, I'm going to come to you, and I hope to find you in the same manner. I know you're suffering as well. And that this is our task to somehow live in both places at the same time. Give us the strength to do that. And thank you that you are not um, an alien to our suffering. That you, know, you know what we're going through. Give us strength to do that. I pray for special blessing upon everybody in this room in the midst of their suffering, whether it's depression, whether it's physical pain, 
whether it is loneliness, whether it is anxiety about the present or the future, whether it is a mind that is stuck on the past and cannot get over things that have already happened or are gone and nothing can be done about it. In whatever ways that we are suffering this morning, relieve us of that. May we find that life that Jesus speaks of, that peace that passes all understanding, that comes through both inward piety and outward works of mercy and justice, love for you and love for neighbor. Teach us to keep those two in balance, both and. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Will you grab the hand of the person next to you? Make a big chain because we are all united in this place. And receive this blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you're perfectly loved. You can spend your entire life meditating on that. What does it mean to be perfectly loved? Completely forgiven. Uniquely empowered. Now you're called to go out into the world and live as God's faithful children. Guess what, folks? You're going to make some mistakes this week. But even in those mistakes, it doesn't change how God feels about us. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more. There's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. That's what perfect love means. So that when he looks at us, by his amazing grace, he says, you know, y'all are nothing but the best of the best of the best. And if you can leave here believing just a pinch of that, just a tiny mustard seed amount, that has the potential to change everything for you this week. So my prayer for you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is that you take that good word and go from this place in peace.